Well, good morning. My name is Pastor Milo. We are so glad you're here with us this morning. It is the first morning of a new sermon series. Uh, there's a lot of new things going this fall. You're back to school. The seasons are beginning to change and those type of things. And so it's a great time to start a new sermon series. And so this sermon series is called The Long Story Short. Uh, in the back, as you leave today, you'll see at each of the, there's little podiums that are on the sides or in the back, we've got these little uh, cards, you know, just business cards that have this sermon series logo on the back of it or on the front of it. And on the back of it, it says, you are invited. Uh, it's just a simple tool for us, for you to be able to utilize. We really think that this sermon series is something that you may want to invite someone to. Uh, you may make a decision after the sermon, but we'll just go one step at a time, all right? So bottom line is life, you'll notice, is a story. That's the way John Eldridge puts it. Life, as you'll notice, is a story. Life doesn't come to us like a math problem. We don't, we don't have to, to get life that way. When you wake up in the morning and you get up and you sit up in your bed or roll out of your bed in the morning, you kind of have to go through that, well, what's going to happen next? How will my day unfold? You don't get to know. You, you have to actually step into the journey. When you step out of bed in the morning, you're going to step into what this day will hold. You do not know what that is at the beginning of each day. The sun might be shining. Uh, there may be a tornado waiting outside of your door. There, there's a number of things that could happen. Your friends might call and invite you over for dinner tonight. Or you might lose your job when you go to work in the morning. You just don't know. Life is a story. A year goes by like a chapter in a novel. Sometimes it's a tragedy. Sometimes it's a comedy. Uh, for most of us, it's more like a soap opera at the end of the day. Uh, it's just it's this whole mixed, confused bag of life that we go up against, and it's really the story that is told. Either way, it's going to be a story that's told. So imagine, if you will, if you come home one night to find your car totaled. So your car is sitting in the driveway, and it's a total mess, and you know that you have loaned that car out to a friend, or you have loaned that car out to your teenage daughter, and, and now there's a car sitting in your driveway. Someone had better tell you what's going on, and so you ask the question, what happened? And the response is usually something like, well, let me tell you the story. And, and before you put judgment on that situation, you have to realize that that story matters, right? That story matters. The story that your daughter or this friend was not speeding. Uh, they weren't driving recklessly. They were minding their own business and somebody else ran the red light. Or my brother-in-law had a pretty severe concussion last year as a police officer driving. But what the reality was, he was sitting stationary in his car writing a ticket when he was rear-ended. And now he was going to be in the hospital for a number of months dealing with all of these different things. He wasn't doing anything. See, the story matters. It changes how you feel. And you go, man, thank God she's okay. Thank God she's all right. The truth be told, you need to know the rest of the story if you want to understand anything about life. I am not your guy to come up here and tell jokes. I'm just... I always get the punchline wrong. Is anyone with me on that? Or you've, you've seen me even attempt it from the stage. Some of you are like, yeah, he can't tell a joke. <laughs> and if you ever walk into a room when a punchline to the joke has been, has been just delivered, you walk into the room and she says, and it wasn't even my dog. And you have, you have no context, have no idea where that's coming from. You've missed the whole point and what you actually need to do now is say, well, go back and tell the rest of the story. 
Sometimes, most of life feels like a story that we are missing. My wife and I, a number of years ago, were watching a movie, and it got to the tail end of the movie, and for whatever reason, there was a malfunction up in the booth, and it was actually kind of a doom and gloom type of moment, and the film, we could see it on the screen, burned. It just went, and it's just like, and the, the thing went off the screen. We didn't really know whether it was part of the movie or not part of the movie or what was going on. And some, you know, 14-year-old, it seemed like, came out and, and stood in the front of the room and said, well, we're going to have to give you tickets to see this movie because there's no fixing that thing up there. And, and it was at the end of the movie, so we'd seen almost all of it, so we knew we were going to use that ticket to see another movie. I mean, it wasn't really that great of a movie anyway. And so someone piped up and said, well, just tell us how it ends. And so Joe, you know, tells us how the movie ends. It, it lost a little bit, right? Of some guy with his hands in his pocket standing in the front of the thing saying, and then this... <laughs> For many of us, life feels like a movie that you cannot figure out where the ending is or, or a movie that you walked 45 minutes late into. I've heard of people doing this where you, you got two movie theaters showing the same movie and you think that you're five minutes late walking into the movie but really you're an hour and 35 minutes late to the movie and you sit down and you go, Who, why is he asking him that and what? Shouldn't there be more to the story? And many of us are walking through life, and it feels like we are standing and looking around and going, wait, I think that that's important. I think this is important. I just don't understand how the pieces go together. In many ways, John Eldridge talks about it, saying it, it's almost like you've got all the pages. You've got this, all the pages of the book are not there. You've got what seems to be a torn out of the center of the book. And these pages are our lives. The days of our lives are on these pages. We're going, I think that this is connected to something bigger. I think that these things should be important, but I don't know how they connect. I don't know where the pieces go. I don't know where this goes. And the reality is, and the hope would be, that as we stand with this handful of pages, that you would be able to put them in. They seem to be important. I would submit that this book, the Bible, contains the whole story. And that somewhere between the beginning where it starts with God and the end it finishes with God, that somewhere in there our pages fit into that story. But you're going to have to see the bigger picture, see what's going on. It begins and ends with God. We're somewhere in between. If we understand how it begins, which is where we're going to start today, or maybe more importantly, who it begins with, our lives begin to come into focus. So when I talk about the Bible, for many of you this is a history book. Or for others, maybe it's just a compilation of different legends and folklore. But for some of you, it is the Word of God. And if it's the Word of God, we have to understand that we serve and we believe in a God that is bigger than me, a story that is bigger than my own. So this morning as we open up this series and you've got there in your, uh, in your bulletins, there's a white sheet of paper that will help you through it. We've got an outline to help carry you through that this morning. We'll have fill-ins for you. We're going to start this morning at Psalm 119. Psalm 119. So if you've got your Bibles in your laps, you can basically grab the center of your Bible and flip it open. You're going to land at Psalm 119. We're going to talk first about the nature of God's Word. The nature of God's Word. 
Psalm 119 is the longest chapter of Scripture we have in the Bible. It is the greatest love poem any ever written. It is longer than many of the other books of the Bible, this one chapter in Psalm, Psalm 119. It has 22 stanzas. It is built and it is set up according to the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And then each one of those letters has eight verses in the stanza, and they all start with that Hebrew letter. So we miss some of that in our English translation of really the complexity of how this has all been put together. We don't know who's written it. Many of us believe that it's Ezra who probably wrote it. Uh, there is one line of tradition that said this was a psalm written by David to teach Solomon the alphabet. I'm not certain that that is true, but it's, it's, it's significant that the longest, the longest poem in the Bible, the longest chapter in the Bible is not written about marriage. It's not written about children. It's not written about the sunrise, the mountains, the sunset, or the sea. It is written about the Word of God. It's written about the Bible. So Psalm 119, beginning in verse 9. Psalm 119, beginning in verse 9. How can a young man or woman keep his way pure? By living it according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do, let me, do not let me stray from your commands. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And verse after verse, Psalm 119 just carries us through and reinforces the value of God's word the Bible, his holy scriptures. According to Guinness Book of World Records, the Bible is the all-time number one seller. The Bible has sold and distributed 2.5 billion copies. There's nothing else even close to that. Translated into 2,233 different languages, dialects. This book, whether or not, if you believe that it's God's word or not, <coughs> this book is significant in our culture, and around the world. The Bible has 66 books. The Bible has 1,663 commands. The Bible has 40 different authors. The Bible has 3,237 different characters in it. The Bible also has 31 different guys in the Bible named Zechariah. If we were to tally up all the verses in the Bible, you would discover that there are 31,173 verses. If you were to read those verses consecutively, one after another, what we call a preaching rate, meaning just a public orative rate, you're going to read all of those verses together. It would take you 71 hours to read through all of Scripture. Yet, in all these commands, and all these stories, and all these personalities, there's really only one story that is being told. And that one story that is being told is about a very special baby in a manger. That's the story that's being told. Every character, every genealogy, every command, everything points to him. Every story whispers his name. I'm not exaggerating to say that this series is going to completely revolutionize your life if you will buy in and understand what we're trying to do here in telling the story that we see here in front of us in Scripture. It's going to take us a little longer than 71 hours. It's going to take us about 17 weeks. 
Our plan is to go from Genesis through Revelation between now and Christmas. We will finish Christmas Eve and then there will be a little bit of a tag that finishes there New Year's Eve as well. And so those of you who know Scripture know that we will be in the book of Revelation when it comes to the Christmas season. It's not exactly your first choice that you're going to pick for the Advent calendar. But as we go through that, I want you to see why. We're going to see that because the whole story is being told that Jesus being born in a manger has eternal significance. And we look through that, that baby being born is going to be the Christ, the Savior, the Messiah, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The importance that is there. So if you're going with your fill-ins this morning, I just want you to fill these things in. The nature of God's word is this. It is not a collection of stories. It's one complete story. The nature of God's word, it is not a collection of stories. It is one complete stories. And it is not a self-help book. It is not how to fix your life. It is where to fix your eyes. To fix your eyes on the prize we see in Hebrews. To, to focus and put all of, your, all of your life focused on Jesus himself. So that is the nature of God's word. But let's move forward to the nature of God. If you've got your Bibles open, let's start right from the beginning. It's a very interesting thing for me to say. Let's open it up to the beginning. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And we see the very nature of God. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Get past your table of contents. First book of the Bible, first verse of the Bible says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. In the beginning, we cannot go back any further than that. In the beginning, that's where things start. That's as far back as you can possibly go. We can't go any further back. The question is, when was the beginning? Well, depending on who you ask, you'll get a number of different answers. Some, and I would say even most evangelicals, are going to say they believe in a young earth, no more than 10,000 years old. And some are saying in the beginning, we're talking back 10,000 years there are others who will be even more dogmatic, generally very dogmatic, to say, no, that's, even, that's too wide of a spectrum. And they narrow things down. They look at the genealogies that we see in the book of Genesis and elsewhere, and they don't allow any space or any gaps. They say, you know what? We're going to go back 6,000 years. And so in the beginning was 6,000 years old, not a day longer. Others would argue, from a scriptural standpoint, they would argue that the universe is 2 billion 5 billion, up to 20 billion years old. So these groups will argue back and forth. And many of you are, are familiar with this debate and familiar with this argument, the debate that goes back and forth and they'll argue this issue vehemently. And what comes to mind is what God said to Job at the end of the book of Job. If you're familiar with it, God has, has let Job and his three friends debate back and forth his friends beat up on him pretty bad, and Job tries to defend himself and does a pretty good job on it, and then they seem like they hit him again. And he goes back and forth and back and forth. You know what God says to Job after his three friends have talked it out for a long time? God says, who darkens the counsel by words without wisdom, he says. And he says, prepare yourself like a man for what I'm about to say to you. Get ready to take this. So were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have the understanding of all things. Were you there? 
I want to say that this morning to be able to share with you that the reality is, is not one of us was there. None of the experts in how old the earth is, not one of them were there. Job was not there. I was not there. Only what? Only God was there. In the beginning, God. He was there. There are some people who can't say, in the beginning, God. They can say, in the beginning. They eliminate God completely, though, from in the beginning. They say, in the beginning, there was space. There was gases. And they started moving around, and bang! But if you eliminate, from, if you eliminate God from the equation, you've got a problem. Now, I'm not upset, actually, with the idea of scientifically saying that bang, things spoke into, all of a sudden, bang, things happened. I don't have a problem with that. If that's the best way that you can describe what we're about to read through here in this first chapter in Genesis, to be able to say, all of a sudden, bang, it happened, I can handle that because that actually matches up pretty well with what happens. But it had better start with, in the beginning, God created. Because this is the doorway to the Bible. You can't get to any other parts of the Bible without going through Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created means that God was not created. He was there. He was in the beginning. Who created God? No one created God. He was there, and he will always be, and bang, he brought all of existence into motion. You see, the nature of God, here's your fill-ins if you're following along. The nature of God. He is the supreme creator. He is the sovereign king. He is the righteous judge. And we'll see Genesis chapter 3. He is the merciful savior. He is the supreme creator. He is the sovereign king. He is the righteous judge. He is the merciful savior. That's the nature of the God that I serve. Let's look at the nature of creation. You see, God created the heavens and the earth. God doesn't tell us a lot about his creative process at the end of the day. He doesn't give us that much information. If you were to count the words in this first passage of Scripture, there are 630 words, are all that God's used to describe the origin of all things. Scripture gives us a whole lot more detail he gives us a whole lot more detail about the purpose and the, and, and the responsibilities that would happen in the tabernacle. He gives us a whole lot more of the story of Abraham and all that he went through. There's a whole lot more story there, but this is the origin of all things. And we get 630 words to describe it. You see, the purpose of Genesis is not a biology lesson. The purpose of this book does have an agenda as it goes through. This first chapter that we're dealing with today, there is an agenda that is being laid out there. It tells us why God created everything. It does not tell us how God created everything. It does not attempt to fill in all the blanks. Look at the six days of creation beginning in verse 3. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. You see, God didn't go, now how am I going to do this? What was the recipe for light again? No, he spoke it and bang, it happened. Light existed. Notice the phrase, let there be. If you go through this passage, you'll find that let there be, depending on your translation, is there 10 different times. 
Some, some scholars will look at this and say, these are the ten creation commandments. And you can actually, in your own Bible study, if you'd like, you can actually correlate the two. Let there be. And there's this connection between the, the, the ten commandments that we see over in Exodus chapter 20 and how those things correlate and those things work together really well. So those ten commandments were not the first time they'd ever been spoken. In fact, it was actually creation that spoke those things into existence. Verse 5, God calls the light day. A little pre-information for you as the rest of the Bible, as we make our way through the Bible. You're going to find three different variations on the word day throughout Scripture. There's a portion of Scripture that's going to talk about the daylight, that, that, that describing day as daylight, the time during our calendar day when it is light outside. That is the day. Then there's a second version where you have the unspecified amount of time as in the day of our Lord. Or there will come a day when, a day when, a genre or a, a time frame or a season, the day of the Lord. And then there is a 24-hour period of the day. I personally believe that God did it in six 24-hour days. At the end of the day, I think it was a long time. I mean, God, who can speak things into existence, chose to take six days to do that, and on the seventh, he rested. He could have taken six seconds to do that, and on the seventh second, rest. Because he's God. I think that because I'm conservative in my theology, I tend to be moderate in my politics, and I try to be progressive in my thinking. And at the end of the day, we look and we see that most scholars over the years have taken the literal reading of this and said six days means six 24-hour days. I get that also from looking at this saying, and the evening and the morning were the first day, and the evening and the morning were the second day, and so on and so forth. But I say that to you this morning humbly, saying I'm not going to battle with you on this. There are other ways to look at the day. There is a day, the year of our Lord, the day of the Lord. You can look at the day as the daylight, and that's fine. I'm not going to debate that with you. When you see the evening and the morning, you might even look at that and say, well, didn't the author get that backwards? Evening doesn't come before morning. And the reality is that the Hebrews have looked at that as well. And so in their culture, in their time, the 24-hour day starts in the evening. If you're familiar with Jewish tradition... That it's a twilight to twilight, 24-hour period. That the evening comes first, then the morning of the day. You see, the purpose of Genesis is not a biology lesson. There is an agenda that takes us through. It tells us why God created everything, not how he created everything. <clears throat> so very quickly, I'm going to move through the six days here. And we're going to just talk about and try to bring to light the, the why of he created, not necessarily how he created so first you're going to see, beginning in verse 3, God forms creation by separating light from darkness. God is going to form creation. He's going to separate light from darkness. Verse 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning on the first day. So God separates light from darkness. Now, if you know this passage pretty well, we're going to get to a moment where God places the sun and the moon and the stars in place. So where does the light come from? 
Now we know that when Moses met with God on Mount Sinai that he glowed because he had been in the presence of God. We know that in the end times that we see in Revelation that when we are in heaven that there will be no need for the sun because the the glory of God will be enough to light the day. That's really what we are seeing here, I believe, is you've got that the day is lit by God himself. So first, God forms creation. He separates light from darkness. Secondly, God forms creation by separating the water from the sky. Separates the water from the sky. Verse 6, and God said, let there be a vault or separation between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. Most scholars will debate this back and forth, but really what I see it as is there's this water canopy that is around the earth, this atmosphere that has been an atmosphere that we don't have today. This atmosphere, this stable atmosphere that would filter UV rays and keep things in a greenhouse effect, that things were very different before a global flood, the way that God created things that day. There's a high saturation of oxygen. There is, a, there is not these weather patterns that we're experiencing right now with the tremendous hurricane force that we saw come into Houston and just settle there. And obviously there's one that's about to, to uh, hit most likely later this afternoon in Florida and do devastating things. That comes from the different temperature changes around the globe. So if you have a cocoon, if you will, there's atmosphere to be able to protect all of creation that looks different than what we're experiencing today. You can actually look at now what does a global flood do? Where does the water for a global flood come from? It comes from this water canopy, this this vapor barrier that's around the earth. Where does all that water come from? Where does the ice age come from? Well, if you believe in a global flood, then you will also believe that when that water is there, that water freezes. And glaciers are something we still see today active and moving and doing a lot of damage. And so when we see glacier scratches here in this area that we are certain were made by glaciers, And that's great. It's because there was water that formed the ice which made that happen. God forms creation by separating water from the sky. Thirdly, God, the third day, God forms creation by separating the earth and the sea. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and gathered the water together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. So God creates the seas. God creates the bodies of water. God creates dry land. He separates that water. He creates space for the mountains to grow, for for the land to be demonstrated. He also creates green plants. And he creates them in a mature form with seeds after their own kind, it says here. It's important to see that is something that I think we can all see happening in nature is this microevolution of things that do change within their own species, of their own kind, but what we don't see is vertical transition, the macro movements from one kind to another. And so God creates here these, it says seeds of their own kind, he creates dry land, it's all this separating from the earth and the sea. Next, God fills creation. So first he's formed creation. Now he begins to fill it. He establishes the sun. He 
the moon and the stars. Verse 14, and God says, let there be light in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark the sacred times, the days, the years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And so it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give them light on the earth, to govern the day and night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning on the first day. For, excuse me, fourth day. So God creates the sun, the moon, and the stars. He, he takes the space that he has and begins to fill it. And he puts the sun in place, and he puts the moon in place, he puts the stars in place, and the signs and the seasons. The way that the earth is placed here in just our solar system is precise. There is evidence, I believe, of a marvelous design, a great creator, a perfect creator. You understand, if we were any closer, if we were as close as Venus is, it would be 850 degrees Fahrenheit. If we were any farther away, if we were at Mars, it would be negative 200 degrees Fahrenheit. 365 revolutions that it takes every time that we go on this trip around the sun. 365 revolutions. Why not do that in 30 days? Why 365? Well, because if we did that in 30 days, then that means that then our days, our time would be longer. It would be 10 times as long on each side of the earth as it was beginning to make rotations. And during that, the, the daytime, we would cook. And during the nighttime, we would freeze to death. So that rotation matters 365 times, 365 revolutions around the earth. Even the atmosphere, what we see in the atmosphere, our, our oxygen to nitrogen variation. We, we've got 79% to 20%, and then there's just 1% variant of, of just different gases. That, I mean, that's what we deal with when we talk about global warming and those things. That's that 1%. But do you understand if there was a 50-50 split, of, of the way that those gases are there. If somebody lit a cigarette in the parking lot after church this morning, there's your Big Bang Theory. This revolving sphere is tilted at 23 and a third degrees. It gives us this, because of its relation to the sun, that's what gives us four seasons every year, everywhere on this planet. God fills creation by putting the sun, the moon, and stars, and putting us into orbit the way that he did. God fills creation, secondly, by creating and establishing the sea creatures and the birds, verse 20 to 23. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures. Let birds fly above the earth and across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and everything living in it, and the water that teems and moves about in it according to their kinds. There it is again. And every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning on the fifth day. So when you look at this, you see the sea creatures. You see the wind, winged creatures all being, all being created, all being formed here to fill, be able to fill the space that had already been created in the previous days. Now we have this space that's filled. The, the, the seas are filled with animals. The, the skies are filled with flying things, with birds. Next, God fills creation by establishing the land creatures, by establishing humanity and then giving vegetation for them to survive. 
Verse 24, and God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kind, the livestock according to their kind, and all the creatures that move across the ground according to their kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image and our likeness that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. I'm going to skip a few verses here. I'll come back to them. Jump to 29. Then God said, I'll give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, <coughs> everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw that all that he was made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So this sixth day, God fills the earth that he has created. He fills the land that he has created with all types of creatures, domesticated animals. Uh, those of you who love horses and dogs, those things are great. We love them. They were, they were formed this day. The wild animals were formed on this day. And then the creepy things were formed on this day. I'm not sure why. All those things that creep and crawl and you find under your bed and behind the mirror. All of those things he created on this day. And then, of course, he created man, mankind, humanity on this day. Then God rests from his creation. Chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from his work. That's important to remember. This is God, almighty, all-powerful. God is not exhausted from his job, the work that he's done in creating the heavens and the earth. God is resting because he is at peace with what he has made. He's not tired. It's because he is finished. He is complete. He has done all that he wants to do. We serve a God who is not unstable. We serve a God who is at peace with us and at peace with himself. So the nature of creation because as I move through this, and I know that I've moved through it quickly because we could spend weeks and weeks and weeks here. And to be honest with you, when we laid out this sermon series and we talked about how long will we spend on creation, it was very easy for us to say we could spend six weeks, seven weeks because of the seven days we could do that. But we have to come back to the bigger story that is being told. And if that was not as much space that we were given when it comes to the Bible, then maybe we shouldn't give ourselves that much space when it comes to looking at Scripture. When we talk about the long story short, maybe we should just move along quickly here. So here are the big ideas that I want to make sure I get across to you when it comes to the nature of creation. These are your fill-ins. Creation is spoken by God's word and sustained by God's power. None of you during the moments that we are sitting here has to remind yourself to breathe or your heart to beat or the sun to come up every morning. It is all sustained by the power of God. And while we understand how the planets move and we understand how the body works and we understand what life is and what life isn't, we begin as our knowledge expands, we understand those things, but we still can't describe why other than God sustains. Secondly, it's a product of God's greatness. 
is the proof of God's goodness. When we look at the stars, we look at the complexity of the galaxies that, that if we could travel hundreds of thousands of miles an hour, it would take us just a few seconds to get to the moon. But after that, it would take us 100,000 years to even get to the edge of our own galaxy. And the space just goes and goes and goes. We were building these machines, these submarines that can go deeper and deeper and deeper into our oceans, and yet we find them to be more and more complex. The more we study the human body and the way that the cells interact with each other and the way that things work and how molecules connect to each other, we find that it is not as simple as we thought it was. The more we know, the less we know. As a product of God's greatness, creation is the proof of his goodness that he has allowed you and me to be part of his creation. That he chose to create man in the middle of this. That is the beauty in the nature of creation. Let's talk about mankind, the nature of mankind. I told you to skip me a couple verses. We're going to go back to them right now. Verse 27. Verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Just like the moon reflects the sun, we are crafted in the image of God. We are to reflect the glory of God. Now there are obvious differences between us and God and what separates us from God. But there's also something about who we are that is different from anything else that he created. Anything else in this creation account of, of the origins of all things, there's, there's nothing else quite so similar as the image of God placed on all of mankind. When someone says about a boy, he is the spitting image of his father, maybe that gives us the sense of what we are as mankind and humankind in relation to a holy God. Scripture tells us that we are created in his image in our image even, which gives us the emphasis of knowing the Trinity, that there is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they three present and one, somehow the complexity of that, and yet we are, we are in that image. And there's that complexity in us of the body, the soul, and the spirit, and we, we can kind of describe it, but we're not sure what we're talking about all the time. That complexity is in us as well because we are the image of God. He has made us a little bit lower than the heavenly beings. He has crowned us with glory and honor and given us dominion over all the works of his creation. Psalm chapter 8 verse 6 says, God has put all things under our feet. Talk about a responsibility that we carry. There's an order. There's a rank here. And obviously, ultimately, everything is in order because of God. All of creation speaks back to him and speaks his name. We are subject to him. But in somehow what is pictured here is that this creation that has been laid out before us is our responsibility. It is our stewardship to take care of. It is our knowing of, of how to deal with creation, that, that God has given us that. 
to try to understand weather patterns, to try to understand why some animals are extinct and others are not, how to save them, how to take care of them, how to manage our homes and one another, all of that responsibility God has laid on you and me. Which also explains why in Genesis chapter 3, when we get there and talk about that passage, that not only do we become in decay because of our sin, that actually creation itself begins to decay because of sin as well. We were created to enjoy God, to rule over all creation, to reproduce God's glory to the ends of the earth. Fill the earth, multiply it with my image is what God is saying. Take my image and all that has been crafted in you and take it and multiply it to the ends of the earth. So here is the nature of mankind. We are made in the image of God, a unique reflection of God. Made for the purpose of God to radiate, reflect his glory. That is the nature of mankind. We are to reflect him back again and again. And for the purpose that we've been given, one of the outcomes as a church that we talk about is living our personal purpose. Every single one of us has been given a purpose on this planet, and that is to glorify God and worship him. How are you doing at that? How am I doing at that? To radiate his glory. So as the band comes this morning, as I'm bringing things to a close, how do we make the long story short? And each week, as we are covering a lot of scripture each week in this series, we're going to try to do this, be able to say, what's the bottom line here? What's the long story short? What's the main thing that you need to get a hold of this morning? At the end of Jesus' life, the strangest thing happens. He is put into darkness and into chaos. As Jesus hangs there on the tree, the sky goes black, the earth shakes, this midnight-like darkness encapsulates all of the world. The Spirit of God quit hovering on him. And Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you see the, the undertones there of creation? You see, God turned his face away. In all of creation, each day we read the words, and God said that it was good, and God said that it was good. And in that moment when God turns his face away, he looks at his son and he no longer can say he is good. This is the great mystery. Jesus, the architect, the creator of all things, this word, the beautiful creation is all put into darkness and void of sin so that we who have rejected him can actually be brought into the light and life again. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. John chapter 1 goes through and he talks about he is the light of men. Why? Because he is the one who spoke light into existence. And that light shines again in you and in me if we understand that that darkness, he has overcome that as well, that spiritual darkness. He spoke light into that as well. He makes all things new. 
The long story short, Revelation chapter 21, verse 4 says this, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And he who is seated on the throne, Jesus said, I am making everything new. And then he said, he told John, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. It is done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Bottom line, long story short is this. He made a perfect home, and he'll make it perfect again. What we read in Genesis may seem so far beyond what you can get, get your mind around right now, because it's not the world that we see every day. I understand that. I understand that. We can't get our head around it because weather patterns, we see this hurricane. That's the physical world. In the emotional and spiritual world, we see the way that people treat each other and do each other. So that doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem like a perfect world by any means. He created a perfect world, and he will make it perfect once again. Lastly, it's not about you. It's about Jesus. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. When you look at these pages of Scripture... And you try to figure out where does my page fit in and how does that connect and all those different things. This book is not about you. And it is so easy for us to look through Scripture and, and, and read a passage that we like and, and, and try to force that upon our own lives. And say, well, then that means that I can do this. Or that means that I deserve this. Or that means this book, this Bible, the long story, the great epic is not about you. It is about Jesus and his unrelenting love for mankind where he just comes again and again and again after his children. That's the long story short. If you'll bow your heads with me this morning, close your eyes. We're about to sing a song together. God and God alone. The word said one church, one voice, one anthem raised. God and God alone. This is his story. One cross, one grace, one name that saves. All praise to you belongs. And so, Lord, this morning, as we sing this song, as we read through this text, Lord, we give you all the glory. In the beginning, God. Let that settle on our hearts today. That this story is about you, God. That this Bible that we do see as a history book, we do see it as a compilation of different stories, but it is all connected together. All of these characters, all of these words, all of these verses are connected together to tell us one thing. That your son Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And if we accept him and trust him, that one day he will make us perfect again. And he will restore what is broken. And so as we look at this series this morning of how it began, Lord, I pray that that would encourage our hearts today. If there's someone here this morning who's struggling to grasp a hold of that today, Lord, I pray that they would be willing to talk, not to debate. There are people in this room that have 
vastly different opinions than I do on how this first chapter lays out, but we are one, we are united, we are one church behind you, God. And so let that be what resonates this morning. This is all about you, the one name that saves, the name of Jesus. And in Jesus' mighty name we pray.